It's time for episode 23 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. Hey, Marcus, guess where we're going this time? We're going to motor through this episode. That's right. We're heading to Motown on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. And it's brought to you by our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewing in the heart of Hapro with the cure for what ails you since 2014. Great brews, great people, great times right there in the heart of Hapro. And thanks to Crooked Eye for their sponsorship of this crazy imbalanced history of rock and roll this time talking about barry gordy the man is a giant in the industry a godfather of so much and man this is kind of like a motown family tree as much as it is anything it's about him but he's the person who had the seed planted it in fertile ground and let it grow and uh, a lot of people know about the early days for barry he uh, opened a record store called the 3d record mart and that's where he really started to get into the music business it was his first entry into the business and i guess it was just the spirit of who he was as a guy it didn't take him long before he was meeting other people musicians who were local people who would play huge in the Motown uh, legacy. People like Smokey Robinson. Miracles. Yeah. Can you believe that these people were playing clubs in Detroit and the area like local bands at this time before everything blew up? It's so surreal to think about these great musicians we're going to talk about being local bar musicians. Well, that's kind of where a lot of scenes happen from the, totally. the clubs and all and we'll talk about it. we've talked about it before we'll talk about that again but these guys were performers and, uh, and you know there was a whole culture that evolved in Detroit around the whole Motown thing there were people who were trying to get into groups they found a great singer they found a guy who could do the bass parts and this thing and they would sing together and get themselves ready so they could get that big audition for Mr. Barry Gordy and his team what made the music scene so vibrant in Detroit at that time it really was a huge vibrant music scene I don't know enough about that to talk about it here, but I think that's worth looking into, like for a special podcast project, the fertile scene of Detroit before Motown and before Gordy Records. And you've got a pretty neat tale about how he got into the record business, the actual record part of it. Because of the record store and his connections, he recorded a couple of Miracles songs, got a job which was a takeoff or a sort of offbeat cover of the song Get a Job. Right, right, I remember that. And then he got a royalty check for $3.19 back then, which was probably 50, 100, 200 bucks today's money. And that really inspired him to say, hey, I really want to do this. Right. And he begged the family for $800 and started Tamla Records. Tamla Records, because Tammy Records was taken, right? Yes. He wanted to do it after the uh, Debbie Reynolds song, Tammy, but somebody was already on top of that and liked the name Tammy, so they did Tammy Records. He came up with Tamla Records, and if you have old vinyl from the late 60s, early 70s from that Motown era, I guarantee you there are some 45s or LPs in there that have that Tamla label on them. Well, Tamla would have uh, a full life later, because the artists that he would sign to Motown, a lot of them would release on Tamla, a lot of our favorites, which we're going to talk about. And the thing that's amazing to me, the first thing I noticed when we went doing our research for this podcast, I went and looked 
at all the labels and divisions of Motown, which is what, you know, eventually Barry and his family sold off to Universal. And it's just amazing because, you know, you have Gordy Records. That was uh, a label that was like kind of like Barry's personal imprint. Everybody knows about Motown, right? You had Tamla, which started actually before Motown Records in 1959. And that's where we're talking about the list. You see the list of who was on there? I mean, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, the Marvelettes were all Tamla artists. And they developed that sound within the overall sound. And Motown Records came along and they bought the property that's Hitsville, USA. It's a tourist. Obviously, people go there and they when they visit Detroit. And that started a whole nother division and led to, uh, including a record, I think that was one of the first records I heard it the other day, driving, listening to Mary Wells sing My Guy. That was pretty early on. That was early on. It's funny you mentioned Hitsville. Sometime at the end of this month on Showtime, I think the end of August, is the Hitsville documentary that's been hailed about the history of I saw of a, Motown. a promotion for it too, yeah. So that's coming out, so there's something to watch. But the early days were incredible with the, the lineup and the song musicians. I would just like to urge you that this is serious business because from these meetings come the records that Motown releases to the street. We've got to maintain our high standards because if the records are not created properly, we have a bad image out there. Luckily for us, we have one record in the top 10. The artists that are wide open are Diana Ross and Supremes, Stevie Wonder, Temptations, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Gladys Knight and the Biffs. When he formed Tamla, the bands that he was recording were finding so much success on the radio, there were becoming whispers of payola in the scene, which prompted him to start Motown Records so that he could sign people to another label so that people didn't think, oh, everything's coming in on Tamla. That dude's paying everybody off. Really? I never knew that. And he kind of diversed that. I found that in one of the articles that I read about the history of Motown. Always learning here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Well, you mentioned uh, the advent of Motown Records. It was also considered, like you said, the image was squeaky clean there were bus tours where all the artists would travel together in one bus and the band uh, that was backing them all up a uh, review style would play you know t- travel in another bus or two and those tours put a lot of people together it created a lot of uh, duet possibilities because you're on the bus for hours traveling from town to town and you get an idea to sing songs together uh, a lot of that would come out in recordings and uh, you think about what came out of the actual Motown label because you know Tamla got the whole thing started mm-hmm. you mentioned a reason for yeah. Uh, advancing forward and so Motown starts and right away you got Mary Wells you got Diana Ross and the Supremes they were just the Supremes at mm-hmm. first and some of the great bands of my youth Four Tops the Miracles yeah, the, well the Miracles sure and, Marvin Gaye uh, early Little Stevie Wonder Little, Stevie, Little Wonder. Stevie Wonder when he signed them he was 12 I think 12, or 12, 13 years, 13 years old. old when he did Fingertips Now I want you to clap your hands stomp your feet jump up and down do anything And the funny thing is, later in his career, like in the 70s, Stevie Wonder, he would actually migrate to Tamla Records as part of the, I guess, the way things were changing. It all came in under Motown, though. Uh, The Four Tops were just incredible. The songs they did, the harmonies they had, the way they performed, you know, the Temptations. These groups were incredible. So you keep going, though, and, and, and the Motown imprint starts to take off. It becomes a prestige label. And then the Jackson 5 hit in the late 60s. 
That was after the spinners in 66. I'm not sure of that, but I know that I remember hearing the Jackson 5 and seeing them on TV, probably on Bandstand. And I'm looking up there as a kid that's the same age as Michael Jackson going, I can't believe that kid's the same age as me, Mom. And look at him. He's on stage with his brothers. It was just incredible. So I became a quick buyer of all their 45s as they were released. And, And Michael stayed with Motown for part of his later stuff before he left to go solo at Epic and all that stuff. But they also had Boys to Men. There's a Philly connection there. And uh, the Commodores, Lionel Richie, solo after he left. Uh, the Daz Band and Brian McKnight later on with 98 Degrees. And Erica Badu was on Motown. And I didn't really realize that. I just listened to her music, you know. Yeah, she, she's great. Erica Badu is fantastic. You know who else was on Motown Records? Who's that? Martin Luther King Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. The no. March on Washington was, it was released on? on Motown Records wow. in 1963. Well, you know, it's easy to miss. That's powerful. We're only we're only about halfway through the first division of Barry Gordy's empire here. In 62, he decides, I'm going to make my own thing, and he does uh, Gordy Records, named after himself. And that's where you start to see the temptations, and Martha and the Vandell is uh, Edwin Starr. <sighs> on that maroon and yellow label Rick James the super freak started out with uh, Gordy Records the Mary Jane Girls and Tina Marie were some of the later artists like DeBarge was on there too and uh, I like this their slogan was it's what's in the grooves that counts and you think about some of those artists and the grooves were pretty hot you know I am particularly fond of The Temptations their entire songbook I have multiple collections and stuff. I have all their Christmas albums. There was a great two for Christmas album with the Temps one year. And that was the other thing. He was really good. The team at Motown was really good at packaging Christmas music with their artists uh, performing. It was at a time when everybody was doing that. They were doing it the best, I thought. And they were incredible ambassadors to white America. They were incredible ambassadors to white America. And one of the many brilliant strengths of Barry Gordy, because we could talk about him for hours, was his ability to develop these artists like you have mentioned. Yeah. And it's why the artist stayed so loyal to him. He really developed them. How to dress, how to look, how to dance. They choreographed their live performances to get them to move into the rhythm together. So he really worked with them as acts to develop. And not only him, but the whole Motown Gordy Records team. Well, think really about the team. That. Think about the, how this whole thing came together. Because initially it was Barry doing his thing, and then he's learning stuff, and he starts working with Smokey, who becomes like his his right hand lieutenant guy. general. Right. Then there's some songwriting going on with Holland Dozier and Holland. Oh, and you mentioned crazy. earlier we were talking Barrett Strong and all these guys. Yeah there was such great songwriting so they would write a song and they'd hear you know maybe when the Dozier Holland boys got done writing it they would hear this as a Diana Ross song or when Smokey would write a great song he would hear it for the four tops so there was a lot of that that old Brill Building Tim Pan Alley approach like songs coming at your ears come on up step on up record them and everybody had hits that's the most amazing thing about this is that how many fucking hit records came out of it so much so that they ended up nicknaming the Motown headquarters Detroit, Hitsville, USA. And a proper nickname. And if you really look at it as a label, they might have the most impressive discography of all the labels out there because of what they did. 
Well, they also started a bunch of secondary labels. These they already have three major labels here, right? Yeah, huge labels. Four. So you got four major labels, and you start Checkmate Records and Miracle Records. Which is that the country label? No, that's these are all R and B labels. They were specialty labels because um, they did four A and country for a did, little while. And I think I have that in here too. They uh, had Mo West Records and Motown Yesteryear Soul Records, which was established in '64 and dissolved in '78. VIP records where you'd hear the spinners and the elgins and artists like that weed records a short-lived subsidiary one release only was from chris clark in 1969 it was cc rides again the album was issued and that was about it their tagline was your favorite artists are on weed (laughs) and that's what you call that's what you call marcus fuck you money because you could do a label like that and do it one record and then go yeah we're done with that they did have a rock label too you know rare earth records whoa who are the bands that were on that label well ironically one of them was rare earth ironic it was an attempt by the gordy uh, uh, organization to branch out into rock music and it's funny because i was driving home from golf yesterday with my pal richie reyes and he had the long version of get ready with the full drum solo on there so we were jamming almost the whole way home from golf listening to that our dean taylor was on that label do you know the song he was famous for indiana wants me Lord, I can't go back there. I know that song. Sure you do. I know that the, song. The Pretty Things. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about them we've before on the about podcast. Them. The Love Sculpture, Kiki D, Tofat, The Cats, and Sean Murphy, who would later be in Little Feet. She was on Rare Earth Records. Now, the other, the first white band signed to Motown, I actually have a personal connection to. They were called the Rustics. They were from New York State. I think in the, uh, I want to say in the uh, Binghamton area, like around there, and uh, it was Rustics with an X. And I think he was the bass player. Bobby D'Andrea was my next door neighbor's cousin. Uh, he was an older cousin so and i actually have both the single version of uh, get ready from rare earth and the uh, rustics album in my collection but and then there was a country thing and i didn't copy it out because i all i wanted to say was and they had a country division what the (laughs) fuck what What? can you believe it so polar opposite but country and hillbilly are part of the rock and roll family tree especially in the early days so in the americana so pretty interesting just look at the artists that were on motown the songwriters then we're going to talk about the Funk Brothers. Oh, we could talk. We could talk about the Funk Brothers for an hour. I think we should we, do a we pocket do a podcast, podcast just on them. There's a documentary about them out as well. Yeah, we got to watch we have that. To watch. So we have to do a pocket podcast on the Funk Brothers. But we talked about how you know the Rustics were the first white band. Motown, even though there was still a lot of prejudice and racial strife, Motown right. had such a huge influence on white culture, and even the most prejudiced yes. people loved their their, their music. Yes, and. And it's funny because I was reading a bunch of stuff and Smokey Robinson described the Motown sound and how it became the basis of the Northern Soul movement because you had stacks in the South. Right. And that was like Wilson Pickett and some of those other legendary musicians. And they had a whole studio scene yep. and network built in around that. It's the yeah, same way that Shoals. Motown had their thing, yep. you know. But, you know, you think about the impact that this that it had. You mentioned the cultural impact because what it did was... It crossed any lines that were remaining, even in the early 60s. You could hear the 
Supremes on any radio station in America and a lot of the other hits that were coming out, however they got there, were getting played on stations that were mostly targeted towards a white audience. Yeah. They were white stations. However, it also helped to spawn the R&B radio movement of the 60s as well. So it gave them a lot of great songs to play and uh, play them they did. And that's what led to them. I mean, eventually there in the 60s in 1972, Detroit became the basis for so much in the music business. But then they decided to go west. I can't believe they did that. I am shocked at that move just because of the history. And I understand business is business, but Detroit is Detroit. And what they did there, they changed the nation in so many ways. And that doesn't change just because they changed the dresses. Um, they expanded uh, beyond records. They uh, formed TV specials under under the banner of Motown Productions with all their artists. They helped to take, I guess at that point, it was expanding the media universe for musicians and artists and making it their own uh, long before black entertainment television was in existence. These guys were out there trying to bash down the doors in Hollywood and do for their artists in Hollywood what they'd done for them nationally. And it kind of worked, if you think about it, for a while. It led to some big movies like Lady Sings the Blues in 72 and Mahogany in 75. Diana Ross showed she could act. And uh, obviously the acting bonus continued with her uh, her daughter, who's on that show Blackish, who's just hysterical. Tracy's oh, yeah. hysterical. They did other movies, too. Uh, Scott Joplin, Thank God It's Friday, which was a huge movie oh, for the yeah. disco gang, right? And then everybody went, it's kind of where the, yeah. the, the our generation kind of grasped that whole Thank God It's Friday concept. But it was from that so. movie. Did uh, they do The Whiz? They didn't. That and that's was... what I was just going to say. That same year as Thank God It's Friday, they did The Whiz. I remember watching that new and being like, whoa. And then something different, The Last Dragon. Do you ever, you ever see I that? remember The Last that's, Dragon. That uh, was Motown? That was their, one of their productions. That's with wow. uh, Sean Connery as the dragon, right? Yes. yes uh, listen, yes. you and I should work very man. closely. We can fleece the locals and I'll continue to live as a dragon as long as the asshole who's the king doesn't figure out that I have his heart. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. If Maurice was here, she'd be yes. getting very moist right now. That's what they were doing in L.A. And I, and I think people knew that. A lot of their business was heading out that way. And, music uh, videos, too, coming yeah, in and things yeah. like that. It makes sense. And and the, the tone of the company stayed the same. The artist roster would change, but the tone remained the same, even as the executive personnel came and went, and even as they went and sold the, the label group initially to a polygram. But you know, Marcus, even the greatest things eventually come to an end. And uh, the even though it, it had been expanded and grown and all the things that uh, Barry had done and then sold to Polygram and I think the Universal after that, all I could say is that all good things come to an end. And uh, I guess it was around uh, 2005, they folded the label as an active label. The label's still out there. The label will live forever. The Motown Records, Gordy Tamil, all those artists. Growing up in the era we grew up in, don't you, you stop and you think of Motown and the first thing you think of is that iconic label on the 45 with the map of Detroit and the blue on the bottom and all that. You think of the Tamil logo and that and that that, that was like the maroon and yellow, or or yellow, brown and yellow, yellow brownish yeah. yellow. It was Gordy Records had the maroon and then the gold letters and striping yeah. and the yeah. logo. And all those records are in the basement right here at the at the studio. You know, so they folded it. But it, in some ways, the artists 
were like kind of like thumbing their nose back at the people who folded the imprint because now some of them are as big or even bigger than they've ever been. And before we continue here on episode 23 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, I think we need to take a moment and have a frosty beverage. Wouldn't it be great if we were sitting here with a growler full of what Crooked Eye brews so we could sit here and just sip away while we do the podcast? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? I would have to agree with you. I could totally go for a black iced out for lunch. You can go to the heart of Hapro right there on Montgomery Avenue, 13 Montgomery Avenue, right uh, there at York and Montgomery, and stop by and fill up your growler and bring it up to us while we're doing our next podcast session here at the studio we could get somebody to do that <laughs> yes because there's always something good brewing at crooked eye i saw jeff mulheron uh, at uh, the mgk house band event and i saw him at my vinyl night we were talking about the brewing process and you know this whole thing is so funny because now they're they're dealing with what i call real brewery problems and, and challenges right like as you grow we're facing challenges here on the podcast with their support every week as we grow and uh, they've overcome those things and uh, all the good stuff that you love about Crooked Eye is up on the board. I know you like the stout, but I got to tell you, the, the Crooked Eye PA is just unbelievable. And it's great to have it there. The Extortion 17, a new creation, which I sampled uh, when I was in there, I really love. And Jeff has brought back. What the kind of Brit, beer is the Extortion the 17? It's a t- Tasty IPA with it's stuffed with hot. It's got high ABV and they round off the edges. I'm not sure. I think it's citrus and a combination of citrus flavors. Cool. And uh, the Brit is back. One of my favorite ESBs. I love bitters and a uh, nice frothy Brit always makes your day. Mo Hoppy is a new creation. Go check them all out right there at Crooked Eye and Hapro. And there's always lots of entertainment too, even when I'm not doing the vinyl night, right? Yeah, they've got live music. They've got entertainment on site all the time. Who knows? We might be doing a live podcast podcast there one night when you walk in you never know so go to crookedeyebrewing.com and check out the full calendar and when you're thirsty for something that's really good make it crooked eye right in the heart of Hatboro. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. You mentioned the Funk Brothers 
when we were talking earlier. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't think, and this is something we could ask people what they think about this. I don't think that Motown is what Motown is or means what it means. If it isn't for this group of players who were known collectively, and it's quite a, a collection, as the Funk Brothers. They were the backing musicians. Uh, they were the guys who were providing the punch and sometimes probably some of the ideas the producer might not have had on their own. These were the guys in the studio with all those amazing artists that we've been talking about so far. And there's a couple people in there that I thought I wanted to at least mention uh, most of all. One is a guy named Melvin Reagan, better known to the world as Wawa Watson. And I never knew that Wawa Watson, I know his music and I know of him, but I never knew that he was a member of the Funk Brothers. Ray Parker Jr., who would go on. Yeah, the Ghostbusters guy. You got to go, you know, back to the uh, uh, 60s and 70s to find him there as a punk brother. James Jamerson, who's one of the most famous bass players ever, was there from the beginning until 72. And I didn't know this either. One of your favorites in mine, Marvin Gaye, was a member of the Funk Brothers as a piano player. So you got all that stuff going on. And these guys were the backbone musically of what was going on there at, at, at Motown Central, at Hitsville, USA. Another little factoid about these Funk Brothers yeah. that you might want to know. What's that? They've played on more number one hits than the Beatles, Elvis, the Rolling Stones, and the Beach Boys combined. That's what I'm talking about. Like, the, do the Funk Brothers provide the essential secret sauce? Are, does it happen without them? Are they the backbone? Absolutely. Think about the Muscle Shoals musicians and the Stax musicians for the Southern Soul. And they had big hits, but they did not have near the number one power that Motown had. Motown was a monster machine of number one hits. Just great songs. So for any session guy to be considered amongst the Funk Brothers, any session guy would move there, live there, because you knew you were going to work because they were doing stuff every day, sometimes day and night, right? Oh, yeah. Around the clock, they were recording and writing and playing. That's what they did. God, I bet they had so much fun. Oh, oh my, my goodness. Well, when you got something right, if you're a musician and you've done any recording, when you get something right that you've been working on, especially in the days of four-track taping, it's just a special moment. And it's magic. That's what it's all about. And the artists, I mean, we talked about the writers, but the artists are the ones. And some of them you don't know as well as the others. I didn't know the Isley Brothers did records for Tamla, for one. Yeah, they were signed in like 66 to Tamla, I think. And uh, there's there's just so much great music in there. It's the Chilites, the Contours. Junior uh, Walker and his All-Stars. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that. And those guys were stellar in every every record they got on the radio. And Shotgun is still a standard that stands the test of time. Gladys Night in the Pips, for God's sake. She was on Soul Records, uh, but that was part of Motown. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't think of her as a Motown artist. The amount of artistry is just ridiculous. The talent, the voices, yeah. and yeah. they were so gifted. They were so special. Plus, they had chemistry with each other. Yeah, and I think, like I said earlier about the bus tours, maybe that came from that, being on the road together and playing on tours, those package tours together. Absolutely. Think about all the duets that Marvin Gaye ended up with, with Tammy Terrell, yes. Kim Weston, That's and what I was who's the of. other one oh, that God. he did a lot of stuff with, and I'm drawing a blank, but Kim Weston, who's from Philadelphia, and Tammy Terrell and a few yeah. others uh, that he did a lot of duets with over the years. But that's part of where I think it came from. And yeah. obviously, you know, Marvin is in the staple there. I'm looking at all the art. Martha with and without the Vandellas and the, the Miracles and Smokey, of course. It's just, there's so much, but there's bands that I, I'm never, artists I've never even heard of. They had both Ruffin brothers. David and, J and Jimmy Ruffin were both in the family, so to speak. I don't know all these people, who they are, but they were all part of something amazing. And you know, 
know as they uh, have aged and sat at home and going looking at their one gold record or what or maybe not even that they know that they were part of this and it's one of those things it's a legacy that that i think will continue in their families for years that you know grandpa was in uh, this band or grandma sang backups on that record that kind of thing you know absolutely and think about how many great rock and roll bands that we love that have covered the yes. daylights out of motown ccr's i heard it through the grapevine is powerful but marvin's is special because they're two totally different vibes look at all the yeah. uh, motown tunes the rolling stones have covered over the years yes very true and for as much as they're bluesy guys motown was just as important to those cats as the blues are i'm looking through and you know who i didn't know was part of the motown family even for a short time who Dwayne eddie what veteran rocker of the 50s. seriously yeah. And the Easy Beats were on Rare Earth, maybe for one record. I don't know. I'm looking at all this stuff, and it just, it continues to blow me away. The full impact of what Barry Gordy started. He had a lot of help along the way. You could look at the major components with the Smokey and the Holland Dozier Holland and the other writers yeah, and the Funk Brothers. Yeah, I mean, you had Ashford and Simpson that were writing Oh my for God, them. they were a huge writing combo long before they were a solo or a, a duet, you know, as, a, as an act. And they stayed together forever. Yeah. Like until he passed away, they were together. You mentioned Norman Whitfield. We mentioned Barrett Strong, William Mickey Stevenson, Harvey Fuqua, Pamela Sawyer, and Gloria Jones, who were a little less well-known because they're two women right. who worked together. But those songwriting teams were potent, and they were very, very good at what they did. Here's one that's going to make your head spin, and i got to look more into this. On Rare Earth Records, it says that UFO recorded an album. What? Anyway, we'll check into that one and get back to you on there. Uh, the podcast <laughs> update. And, uh, you know, the Pointers. Uh, the Pointers were were, were part of things. Uh, the Pointer Sisters. Uh, Billy Preston recorded for uh, Motown Records. This is all in the wheelhouse of their era, the 60s. They had Valerie Simpson doing a solo act at that point before uh, she and Nick were writing, I guess, together, but they hadn't done a duet thing yet. And there's all these people. And then the, the later years, you start to see the continuity. You know, we were mentioning uh, Boys to Men and Erica Badu earlier and uh, just the, the number of artists that kept the Motown name going through the decades and uh, the subsidiaries, too. And from a business perspective, it became a model for the music business, especially for black entrepreneurs who thought that they had what it took. You had to look at that and see how they did things to figure out how you were going to do things. And that's not just related to the black label owners. That's related to everybody because they were game changers at Motown. And for an African-American to come into a very white business like this and really knock their socks off the way he did was very challenging. I'm sure he had a lot of battles, but in the end, he had the right business plan and they did it the right way. And part of that included putting together incredible songs. Anytime you're going to break ground, you're going to face resistance. And there are points in any business's life where you have to decide if you're going to push forth. When he came up against the accusations or the inferences that he had paid off to get the Tamla records on the radio, he decided, okay, I'm going to push forward. I'm going to keep going. When people told him to stay in Detroit, he said, no, we have a lot of our businesses happening in California, in L.A. We're going to move to L.A. They didn't completely abandon Detroit. They preserved what was there, and that's why that we have the legacy preserved 
as much as we do on Barry Gordy and the Motown era. And it was great to see him honored the way he was honored by Diana Ross last year. Was it a year before now? I start to get a little foggy in the last couple of years about when shit happened. It was like two years ago, yeah, I think. Yeah, and it was just beautiful. It was just beautiful to see that moment at this stage in both of their lives, these two people who did so many things to change the way the music business operates. And, and the music that came out of it can't be... I mean, I'm a kid. I'm a Motown kid. I grew up loving everything. But I could tell you flat out, I know the Motown records. When I would hear... A, you would hear a record come on the radio on Famous 56 WFIL, and you knew the second you heard the first note, the first downbeat, it's a Motown record. Oh, absolutely. I grew up with Motown. My grandfather liked it. My parents liked it. So we had it on all the time. It was always music. We didn't watch a lot of TV as young kids. We listened to music or played outside. Motown was always big. Stevie Wonder especially. I mean, I remember seeing Talking Book as a little kid when my dad got it as a new record and having to listen to it because I loved the way Stevie looked so different than everybody else out there. I think we should go uh, wrap up the episode and go listen to Talking Book right now. It's on my iPod right there behind you. (laughs) I was listening (laughs) this morning. Well, there it is. An overview of uh, an important part of both of our lives and more importantly, I think for a lot of music lovers' lives, the great Motown empire of Barry Gordy. Long before there was an Empire TV show, he was doing it and doing it the right way. And uh, I fully appreciate him and and all the music that his directed collective efforts of him and his uh, Motown crew gave us through the decades here. I'm so excited to be able to talk about Motown because of its rich history and the fact that it just completely blew the world away. And if you look at the Motown sandwich, I kind of want to end it with my part of the podcast giving a little Smokey Robinson quote because he described the Motown sound perfectly. People would say, listen to it, and they'd say, aha, they use more bass or they use more drums. Bullshit. (laughs) When we were first successful with it, people were coming from Germany, France, Italy, Mobile, Alabama, from New York, Chicago, California, from everywhere just to record in Detroit. They figured it was in the air that if they came to Detroit and recorded on the freeway, they'd get the Motown sound. Listen, the Motown sound to me is not an audible sound. It's spiritual, and it comes from the people that make it happen. What other people didn't realize is that we had just one studio there, but we recorded in Chicago, Nashville, New York, L.A., almost every big city, and we still got the sound. That says it all right there. It really does. It's a vibe, a groove, the Motown sound. And that's going to do it for episode 23 of the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Hey, if you want to be in touch, we've got a myriad of ways you can reach out to Marcus and I. And we always like hearing from people because, you know, every now and then we've been prone to fuck it up. So we (laughs) we want you to set us straight. And uh, you can do that. Uh, You can find us, first of all, on social media. And we just added a Twitter feed. It's uh, just search Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's at Imbalanced histo that's all the characters they would give us yeah. what a bunch of horse shit yeah i know they should be able to give us the whole thing <laughs> and it's imbalanced history of rock and roll on facebook you can find us there our website is imbalancedhistory.com imbalancedhistory.com and you go there and you can find all the episodes and you can also reach out to us on our gmail account which is imbalancedhistory at gmail.com this has been a lot of fun man we've been thinking about this for weeks and we finally get it together and what a great episode here at dark doc media we're hanging and we we are glad that you're hanging. We're always hanging around, listening to the music and reading about stuff and
and learning. And thanks to you for sharing it with us. Yes, thank you uh, for everything. It's been a blast discussing Motown and some of the other music subjects, but Motown was amazing today because we could probably do six or seven episodes on the history of Motown. And we will, in oh, time, yeah. <laughs> once we break all out the, the individ- artists. Yeah, but the we individual wanted to get artists, to this the albums, first. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that. Hey, we want to thank Rick DeFonso. You're hearing his music right now. Check him out at rickdefonso.com, the new album, Instrumental, from Rick DeFonso. Thanks to Rick for uh, being our uh, basically our band leader here on the podcast. Well, partner, it's time to uh, hit the highway. I say we go to Motown and uh, see if we can't make a hit record up there. I'm game. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And we'll catch you next time on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.